we are in Ephesians chapter 1, looking at the prayer that Paul prays for the church. Before we do that, we wanted to review some of the things we did last week, and also there was a question that came in that we didn't see before we signed off, so we would, did want to take that on. But in working all things together in Ephesians 1 and verse 11, in him we also have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We went over to the book of Romans and looked at 8.28. We saw that we know all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. The things that God works together are not people's wills. They are events. They are, as it says, things. And, of course, he will move upon people who will submit his, uh, to his will. And if they yield, he will certainly use them to accomplish things here on the earth. But there are many people who will not yield. And he does not move upon them to do something that they would not ordinarily choose to do much like we saw with Pharaoh, but he did with Pharaoh schedule events, make things occur to help persuade him. But still, it was his decision. So God does not work the decisions of man that are against his purpose or to get those that are unyielding to him to move for him. That is not how he works things together. What he will do is work all things so that the decisions and actions against his plan will not stop his purpose in the world or in your life. Now, just like so many people in the Bible, we must trust him through what seems to be bad, through what seems to be not working in our favor, through whatever it is that comes our way, whatever it is that people decide to do against us. We must trust him knowing that our faith and trust in Him gives God the opportunity to work all things according to His purpose. It's not other people that help it. It's our faith that helps it. If God is going to work in my life, He's going to work through my faith. He's going to work through my yieldedness to Him. If I trust Him, if I have faith in Him, then He is then able to work through me and work through my faith in my particular situation he is also able to work through, uh, <clears throat> how, would you, how would you put it, He's a, for, for things that are the purpose of his kingdom. As, I, as, as the body of Christ trusts him, he's able to work through and to do the things and accomplish the things that, he is, uh, that we are looking for him to do. But he will not make people do something in our favor because he will not move against their will. So when you look at examples like uh, we were just on Joseph's life a little bit ago, God does not move on the brothers to sell Joseph into slavery. If he did that, he would go against these, these principles. He'd be moving on people. What he does is he has a purpose for Joseph. That purpose is over in Egypt. That purpose is rulership over in Egypt. And regardless of what decisions people make, regardless of what they do against that plan or for that plan, God will bring about his plan. So even though the brothers sold him into slavery and that 
I cannot imagine any way in which that was God's plan. He, he still says, I will work this together. Joseph, I just need you to trust me. I just need you to have faith in me. And Joseph did. He had faith and he had trust in him no matter what. And so he stayed that way and God was able to work all things according to his purpose. He won't move on people to do something against their will. But he can orchestrate things to go along. To, uh, he, he can help uh, events. I will just go back to Joseph's again. Joseph, when the two people that were in prison happened to be put into the prison where Joseph is, then Joseph is able to help them out. And though Joseph was hoping that would get him a good word, that's not how God was going to use this. But, well, right now we got the seed to be able to sow. So when the situation comes up, God knows two years from now, this dream's coming. He's going to be looking for someone to help him out. And that's what our man in the, uh, in the room there is going to be able to step forward. That may not have been part of the original plan. But when the brothers did the, the selling him into slavery, when the wife decided to falsely accuse him, when he goes into the prison, God says, it doesn't matter where you go. I'm able to take care of this. I'm able to bring you out from wherever it is that you are and put you into this, into this place. And uh, just because it happens that way doesn't mean this is the only way God could do it. And a lot of times we get that confused and we lose sight of that. <clears throat> because it happened this way, this obviously was the way God wanted it to happen and the only way it could have happened. And that would be wrong. God can do it all kinds of ways. We just have to be willing to trust Him and not put our trust in the situations that we're in. Don't ever put your trust in your employer. But you keep your trust in God. If we get to the place where the employer is the one we have trust in, then that may get removed out of our life because God needs us to trust Him. Much like the, uh, the rich young ruler. Riches were his trust. That was his number one thing. And to get them up was, uh, was too much for him. God says, no, give that up. Come on. The riches aren't bad. It's not bad that you have riches, but the riches got a hold of you. So give them up. And we'll replace that with something else. And down the road, you're going to have more than you have now. But he didn't trust. He didn't have the faith. So God will work all things together for good, even if your employer conspires against, against you. God will work it together for good. Much like Daniel when the people that he worked with decided to conspire against him and to create a law that's only purpose was to get Daniel. Many times we, we're, many people today are facing a law, or not really a law, but just a, what they call a mandate. These are, you know, um, things that other countries have that would have dictators. We don't have dictators. But anyway, these things are put into, into place. And much like Daniel faced this, God didn't put this in place. God had no purpose for this. But if you, as the enemy, can, you want to put this against my, my man, fine. Go right on ahead. Because my man will have trust in me. And Daniel did. Daniel went in and said, don't worry about it. King, don't you try? Just put me in the lion's den. It's all right. And so they, he put him in the lion's den. And when he made it through the other day, what did God end up being able to do? He cleaned out a whole lot of unrighteousness in the government of, of uh, Babylon there. Just cleaned them right on out. Well, they exposed themselves for who they were and what they were, that they didn't have the good of the kingdom, they had the good of themselves. And so the king used that as a... So it wasn't actually Babylon, it was Persia. But the, the king had the, um, 
opportunity to see, and he took care of them. He said, let's take these guys and throw them in. Haman decided to make the gallows to hang Mordecai on. He decided to have the plans in place to slaughter the, the Jewish people. And God didn't have that in his plan. That wasn't in God's plan. But he said he saw that men were making uh, an avenue against the people of God. So God says, fine, if you want to do this, I will take what you meant for evil and I will turn this around for good. And so God used it as an opportunity that the, the, the Jewish people in the land were able to go out and to kill whoever it was who was trying to kill them. No trials, <laughs> nothing needed. If you knew that they were conspiring, go in there and, and take it. And so they did. They went out there and they, they took care of it. And the enemies of Israel were neutralized because they tried to come against the people of God. So when these folks come against the people of God, they expose themselves for who they are. God does not have a plan. He does not have a purpose for the thing that they've concocted against his people. But if they push it against his people, God will take what was there, use it for good, and bring about a deliverance. If we trust him, if we have faith in him, if we get to where Israel is, when they were wandering in the wilderness, how many times did they doubt? How many times did they, oh, we're here to die. Oh, we're going down. And God wasn't pleased with that. He, didn't, he wasn't looking for that sort of thing. There were people who stood up in faith, and they trusted God. And these are the ones that God was able to take all those things that were meant for evil and bring them around for good. And so this is what we do. And there's many more cases of this in the Word of God. We can see that Abraham went against the five kings and brought about a deliverance because they took Lot. And so he's going to go out there and get, get his guy. And he, uh, he brought him out. And many of, the peop- many of the idolaters, many of the people that were against the things of God were done away with. And they were eliminated. And the people that come against God's people, God will, will rise up. It doesn't, in the Bible, let me say this part of it. In the Bible, not everyone was delivered. There are some people that were martyrs. In the letters to the seven churches, God even writes to them, some of you are going to die. It's all right. It's, it's all right. I know this is coming. Don't worry about it. When you get over here, you got even more rewards than you had before. We're going to take care of you on this side. But he, he warned them ahead of time. This is what's going to. This is what's going to happen. But don't you fret it. Don't you worry about it. We're going to bring this. Uh, bring this about. So we just just don't lose trust in God. No matter what it is that your employers, no matter what it is that the the people that are making laws in your communities. No matter what it is they want to try and threaten you with, well, you won't be able to go out to the restaurants, you won't be able to go and buy food, you won't be able to... It's not past yet. Don't ever worry about something that's not here. As the Word of God says, Jesus' is own Word. Today has enough cares and concerns and things to take care of. Don't be messing with tomorrow's. <laughs> take care of today's. Father, we're, we live in today. Faith is now. Faith is now. It's not tomorrow, it's not yesterday, it's now. What are you facing now? But the enemy wants us to get, it, to get us to be concerned about, about what might come. And a lot of times people say, well, if this happens and this happens and I'll have this and th-. don't Don't be messing with that. Because tomorrow things can change. 
when they had uh, the golden image set up. That was a tough thing in the land. Everybody's got to bow down. I don't want to bow down to that, that golden image. There was a lot of people, Jewish people, who bowed down to the image. They didn't, they didn't try and stand up and fight. But three of them said, I don't care how many of them are not fighting against this. We're not going to bow. All right, you're going to go into the fiery furnace. Well, if you're going to throw us in the fiery furnace, then go ahead. We're still not going to bow. And because they were willing to stand up, the entire law was changed. There are some times you have to stand up against things that dictators and people who are kind of swelled up with power try and do against God and against his people. But don't ever lose heart. Don't ever say, well, I guess the end is coming. Um, God has often taken an opportunity for which his people were pushed into to bring about good, good things, great things. Good, uh, huge, uh, what do you call it, forces come against Israel. They didn't pick the fight. They didn't go out there trying to do anything, but they just came against Israel. They're going to they're gonna attack them. And God says, don't worry about it. We got this one covered. Or he'll say, go out there and fight them this way. And these huge multitudes of, of uh, armies were delivered, and they picked up on all the loot. What we have in the end times, the Ezekiel War, as it's known of, known as, all these nations are going to gang up against Israel. They're going to lose. And Israel's going to end up burning stuff that are weapons. And the only reason you burn things is because you don't need them. So they apparently have enough weapons. They don't need any extras. And they're going to be burning them for seven years. That's a lot of extra stuff. And they're going to have a surplus. And that is brought about because people decided to come against them. So when people decide to come against you on your job, on your well-being, whatever it might be, just don't fret. Don't take any any anxiety about anything. Don't fear it. Don't be concerned. Just stand. Stand your ground. Say, Father God, I thank you that I have the things that I need for today. The pressure that we face here is small compared to what's going to be faced in the tribulation period. And we can go back in history and look at some of the things the church has faced in the past, and the pressure was great. It was, it was great. In the Roman Empire, there's some times that what the church was under is far greater than anything we're seeing here. And they made it through. God brought them through. God will bring us through. But just trust them. Just have faith in them. And just know, devil, whatever it is that you're going to throw against my way, whatever things you try and pass, whatever things you try and get implemented, they're not going to have the effect that you want them to have on me. In fact, it's going to have a negative effect on you. And you just keep talking about that, he's going to keep trying to get into your head. No, 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 you need to be concerned. No, 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 you need to be worried. No, I don't. I don't need to be worried. Well, what happens if you can't buy stuff? Well, apparently in the book of Revelation, they can't buy things without a certain mark. And that's not the worldwide, that mark of the beast. Please understand that we go over it in end times, but it can get lost. The mark of the beast is not worldwide. Because the ruler, the Antichrist, is not a world ruler. If he was a world ruler, there wouldn't be war. And there's wars because there's multitude nations. In fact, in the end of the tribulation, it describes a number of, of powers that come together against Israel. An army from the east, one's from the north, one's from the south. 
they're coming from all different directions. The, the Antichrist only controlled, we look at the first Antichrist, the forerunner to Antichrist, if you look at the first one, his territory is Israel and north. So it's going to be in the area of Turkey, Iraq, Iran, uh, up, up in those areas. And, uh, Jordan, I think, is, is uh, Canada and that's uh, Syria. These are all the nations that will be involved in that. But the, that image is set up in Israel's temple. And that worship is involved with Israel. It is very unlikely that the worship of that image goes anywhere else beside there. Now, I'm not telling you that the rest of the world won't try and set up something similar. I'm just telling you that the mark of the beast, the mark that the Antichrist has, is not worldwide. The world won't accept that religious system that they have. They want to implement their own. They have their own things that they're doing. So, just, just keep all that in mind. But don't, don't get to the point where you lose trust. Stay trusting in God. And He will work these things together. But if we worry, if we fret, God can't take these things and work them together. He works through our faith. So as, they, as Joseph said, you meant it for evil. Now he said, but God meant it for good. Because that's how they understood these things. God didn't mean it for good. God used it for good. So anyway, that's going on here to Ephesians chapter 1. And I hope that answers the question we had. If not, <laughs> put up any follow-up question that is there, and I'll be happy to answer that here at the end. And um, Daryl keeps an eye on all that sort of thing as the stuff's going over. Just, just know, if you're watching online, you can ask a question at any time. Just type it right in there. Daryl will keep it to the, to the side and make sure that I know about it at the end. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. This is a prayer that Paul would pray for those in the church. And he didn't just pray it for the Ephesian saints. He prayed it for the church overall. He's telling uh, the people here in the, the recipient of this letter, which may have been the church of Ephesus, may have been the churches that are all around those, those areas. But this is a prayer that he prayed. And since it's a good prayer, it's a prayer that made the word, we've encouraged you, like I've been encouraged, to pray this for your own self and pray it for the people that are in your life. So pray it to put your name in there in this prayer. Or pray it and put the name of somebody who's uh, in, your, in your life that you want to see grow in these things. Just put their name in it. This is what Paul's doing. Let's take a look at the first two verses here. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So he said, after I heard of your faith. This is a qualifier. So therefore, is talking about what had gone on in the verses before. And uh, in fact, if you would, call up uh, verse, verses 13 and 14. I didn't write them in, but if you can pull them up, I would uh, read that because we want to see what he's going back to. And he's going back to all the things that he had written in the previous, uh, we know it to be one, one sentence in the English. They broke it up a little bit. But in verse 13 and 14, especially verse 13, he refers back to some of the things in particular that he was looking at. In him you also trusted. See, there's that trusted. In him there was a tr the trusting that they did after you heard the word of truth. So they heard the word of truth and they trusted in him, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, 
So they trusted and they believed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So there's a sealing that had gone on in verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Therefore, he says, I also. So on the basis of this believing, on the basis of this trusting, on the basis of this sealing, we're going, we're going on to the rest of this. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, so he first off heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus. He knows that they trusted and they believed. He heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So they had the faith in the Lord Jesus that resulted in the love of God being poured out into their heart. That love had a result. On the basis of this faith, on the basis of this love that is in you, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, some prayers can only be made after people are a certain way. Certain things have to happen in their life. I wrote down four things here for you. First thing that have to be is saved. You cannot pray for someone who is not saved the way that you would pray for someone who is saved. Once they are saved, once they come to a submission of Jesus Christ and to His will, it changes how you can pray for them. You are then able to pray some things that you were not able to pray before. You cannot pray for the unsaved the way you pray for the saved. A lot of situations, a lot of trouble that unsaved people get into, they get into because they're unsaved. And God can't step into their life and work because they won't yield to Him. They won't trust Him. They won't believe Him. The Word's not working in their life. You cannot pray for them the same way. That doesn't stop some Christians from doing it. Some Christians will pray for their lost uh, relatives the same way they would pray for them if they were believers. But you cannot do it. There are certain things we can pray for unbelievers that we wouldn't pray if they were saved. I don't need to take authority over the, the darkness over a believer in the same way that I do an unbeliever. Now, there's still darkness that can come on a believer. But it's not the same kind of darkness that comes on an unbeliever. It's keeping them from the light of the gospel. It's keeping them from other light, but it's not keeping them from the light of the gospel. They've seen the gospel. They've got that light. When they're unsaved, I can take authority over that, over that darkness that is on them. I can ask for the, uh, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the field. These are things we can do. Here's a second one. What if they're filled with the Spirit? If you have a believer who's filled with the Spirit, you can pray for them differently than you can pray for a person who's not filled with the Spirit. If they're resistant to that aspect of what God will do in their life, it's going to restrict what you can pray because they they won't receive that. No, I don't receive that baptism of the Spirit stuff. I don't re- receive the uh, the giftings of the Spirit. I don't receive those particular things. Well, that's, I'm not saying you can't get into heaven and not believe in those. But there's some things that I can't pray for you in your life because of those, uh, those things that are going on. But once they get filled with the Holy Spirit, oh, that opens up. I can pray some more things, some different things. If they are walking in faith instead of walking in doubt, well, it changes what you can pray for them. If you've got people that are walking in doubt and unbelief, I can't pray some things for them that I would be able to pray otherwise. If you've got people that are walking in sin, deliberately going against what God is working, what God is telling them in their life, going right against it. I can't pray the same way I can pray for someone who's not walking in those sins. When, they, when God shows them, hey, this is sin, oh, I'm going to get out of that. You have people 
this is sin? No, it's not. I'm going to do this where I, I don't care if it is sin. I want to do it anyway. And they go out and they do that. Well, that's going to shut down some things that God can do. That's going to open them up to some bad things going on in their life. You cannot take authority over those things. The, the Word of God said in the book of the, or in the Old Testament, if you will do these things, these blessings will come. If you will not do these things, these curses will come. Well, you can't play against the curses if you're going to invite them in. That's, that's not the way to do it. If you, can, if you want to take authority over your house and get rid of all the evil spirits that are going on in the house and all the bad stuff, and then you have Ouija board things and you open up in the morning, you got the horoscope and you open that, that up to see what's going on with that, and you, you're doing all this satanic stuff inside the house, and, well, that's not really harmful. That's just whatever. It is. No. If you're going to bring that stuff in, you're going to bring other things in as well. And you can have whoever comes out to your house, well, you come out to my house and take authority over this and kick all this stuff out, and they may come out to your house and they may, may pray the roof off the house. But when they leave, so does the authority. Because you don't have any authority. You've given it up. You've yielded to the devil. So he just skid on out there and just wait until that person gets out of the house and then he comes home back in. So you can't pray for people that are walking in sin. You can't pray for people that are not walking in faith, that are walking in doubt. You can't pray for them the same way. And here in this particular thing, we see the, the case of enlightened. If you, if you have been enlightened along certain categories, certain lines, you are able to walk in some stuff that other people cannot because they haven't been enlightened yet. So then you're able to be, uh, your prayers for them would be different. Jesus dealt differently with his disciples when they became enlightened on certain truths. So there's an enlightenment that comes in. So he says, therefore I also, after I heard, see he has to hear. I heard people were there. Now, he says he heard. He means people that he knows and trusted were there in the place, saw what was going on, came back and gave him the report. This is what's going on in these churches. Oh, all right. That means we can pray this way. So after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, they didn't just come out there and say, hey, they're doing great. Well, what are they doing? Oh, you should see the faith they walk in. You should see the love they're walking in now. And they begin to describe some of the things that are going on in their lives. Oh, all right, that means that opens us up to pray over here. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This is a powerful part of this verse, and many Christians don't get a hold of this. Often, we labor and labor and labor in prayer for people that we know. And we almost feel guilty if we're not praying for them for a half hour, hour, a day. I just need to be in prayer for this person. I just need to do it. What's Paul say? I make mention. I make mention. He's not, he's not travailing over this. He's not laboring over this. It's not, it's not a big battle for him. Because he's, he's not trying to convince God to do something. God wants to do it. All he needs to get in there, he just makes mention of it. Father, those people in that church over there, I thank you. And he says these particular things. He just mentions them. Understand there's a whole lot to be said for mentioning someone in faith far more than travailing in doubt. <laughs> That's what a lot of people want to try and do, they travail in doubt. Because they don't believe that God's actually working. So if I labor hard in prayer, maybe then God can use that to work on, on these people. Do not cease to give thanks for you. 
making mention of you in my prayers. So which, where do you see him putting more of the time? I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. <laughs> it seems to be his emphasis is on the side of thanking them for, for the people. If you look at people today in the church, people in the body of Christ, they've got someone in their life that's given them trouble. They've got someone in their relative, their family, that's not where they need to be. And they're laboring, they're travailing, they're praying for them, but not giving thanks. We should spend more time on the side of giving thanks than we do in the parts that he says I just mentioned. But it, it, it flips for a lot of people. We spend all of our time going over the thing. Well, they need this. Oh, Father God, will you move on this person? Oh, Father God, they, they, they need help over in here. And we, we spend all this time on this instead of just going over there and giving thanks. What's he giving thanks for? Oh, I thank God for the faith that they have. Father, I thank you for the faith that they're walking in. I thank you for the way that your love is just walking out, working out in them. He's just giving thanks. This is the, this is the pattern that Paul shows us. He doesn't cease to give thanks, but he makes mention in prayer. Some things we should just never stop doing. Just keep on giving thanks. Keep on giving thanks. The accuser of the brethren, the kingdom of darkness, is always at our doorstep telling us the things that we should not be thankful for. Did you see the way they said this? Did you see the way they did this? You see what's going on here? Stay thankful. Stay thankful. But I've been thankful. I was, I've been thankful for the whole week. <laughs> no, we can't put time limits on it. Now, if you were, um, <clears throat> if you were looking up on the church Facebook page, I, I put a teaching up this week. I know I talked about one I put up there last week, but I put up one this week. That uh, just I was listening to it. So, oh, this was just uh, so good. Brother Keith Moore was talking about uh, when it looks like things aren't being done, and, it, and you know how can we tell if we're in faith? And it's it's a good teaching. I'm not going to try and teach it here. Going up there and, and listen to it. I enjoyed it. I'll probably go back and listen to it again. I've heard it before. Don't matter. I like hearing it again. Keep me in remembrance of these things. But give thanks. Don't cease giving thanks. There are there are some things you ought to cease doing. But that's not one of them. He says, uh, pray without ceasing. That just means stay in a constant communication with God. doesn't mean to keep laboring and travailing over certain things. Just keep talking with God. If every time that you, were, you have somebody close, you have a spouse, you have kids, you have friends, if every time you got together, you're travailing. Oh, it's rough. Oh, it's tough. Oh, well, that person's not going to be seeking you out very long. They don't want travail all the time. They want rejoicing. They want gladness. They want good things going on. Make sure you stay in that side of, of it. So, they are in a position to receive some things, which is what causes Paul to step out there and begin to pray. Now, I made this note. If I pray for people to receive what they are not in a position to receive, or what God is not in a position to give my faith and my prayers will be weakened. The devil loves getting you to do this. He loves to get you to pray for things that people are not in a position to receive, including yourself. He wants you to 
ask God to give what God is not in a position to be able to give. Because he knows that will result in failure. And if he can get you to pray for enough things that fail, your faith in your prayers will be weakened. Well, I'll ask God, but you know, he doesn't answer my prayers very much. You ought to get so-and-so that they seem to have better success. Well, if you don't have prayers, you know, if you don't have faith in your own prayer, how are you going to be able to change your life? I need to be able to have faith in my prayer. That means you make, a, you make a prayer that God can answer. And so Paul does not make this prayer for them until he hears certain things are going on. When I heard of your faith, when I heard of the love that was working through you, when I heard these things, that told me I can go over here and pray. Now, if he heard some other things that he doesn't mention, if he heard them, he'd probably be able to pray for them in another way. But he says, on the basis of what I heard in the area of faith, on the basis of what I heard in the area of love, this is what we can do. So be careful. Don't pray for people to receive what they're not in a position to receive. If a person is unsaved and they lost their job, many times Christians, because they're a relative, oh God, they, they need a job. Oh God, they need... And we begin to pray that God would bless them. Well, they may get a job, but it's not going to be a blessing from God. Because God can't bless them in that way. Because they've shut that part of it off. First off, they don't trust God. They don't believe in God. They haven't uh, yielded their finances or their trust in their finances to God. They haven't done any of these things. What does God have to work with in that situation? Yeah, but God just, I feel so bad for them. And we're doing it on feelings. We're not doing it on any kind of faith in the Word. We're not doing it on any kind of faith in what God has said. If you really want to have an effective this with them, going up to them and say, hey, you lost your job. You're, you're going down. Things are, are not going well. You're not making any money right now. This is a good time to turn your life over to God. And then God can step in and start working. Well, I don't want to be that bold. Well, then <laughs> it's a whole lot easier to get in your prayer closet and make some unscriptural prayer and feel like you've done something instead of doing what the Word of God says to do. So this is what Paul does. He heard... And so he prays. Let's see what he's praying here. <clears throat> In verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, these are people that are born again. They have faith. These are people in whom the love of God is. We are not dealing with unsaved people. I don't know exactly how mature they are. They could be fairly mature. They could be somewhat mature. It doesn't seem to be a, a big thing here. But understand, these are, these are people that are walking with God. Walking with God does not give you the spirit of wisdom. If it did, why does, God, why does Paul pray for it? He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. When they, he heard they were born again, he doesn't pray this. When he hears that they're work, walking in a certain aspect of things, he begins to pray this. This tells him they are in a position to receive this. Just because you're born again does not mean you are in a position to receive it. But the qualifications are not real high. He only gave two qualifications. Their faith and the love of God. 
both of which, when you're born again, you can receive, but it doesn't mean that you're walking in it. The way Paul describes it, they were walking in the love that God had poured out in their heart. Many times, Christians, they have these things, but they're not walking in it. But he says, I hear about the love. I, I hear what you're doing in the area of love. And it's agape love that he uses. That's the word that he uses. They're walking in a certain thing that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you. See, there's a may there. So there's a God side to this and there's a man side to this. They have a part to play as well as God does. That he may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So he's praying for them in this area. Father, give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Now, in order for it to be given to me, I must not have it. Why in the world is, is Paul going to be praying for them to get something they already got? So they must not have it if he's praying for them to get it. So don't think that just because you're born again, you got all the wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of him you need. Because you don't. So you cannot be given what you already have. You must not have it you, because you cannot be given what you already have. But it's something that I can receive. As a Christian, I can receive this, but there's certain things I needed to walk in first. It wasn't real, real difficult things, but it was just something. There's a lot of people that get born again. They don't walk in the love of God. There's also people that have been born again for a while. They're still not walking in the love of God. They're judgmental of people. They're pious. They're high and mighty. They're all, you got to get rid of all that sort of stuff and be walking in the love of God. They're, they're more quick to walk in judgment of a fellow believer than they are in the love of God. Don't be doing that. Now here where it says, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Once again, we have the, the aspect of in the sphere of knowledge. This, uh, this aspect of the Greek in the, as far as the, um, the sphere of things, the operational area, is so often used in Ephesians 1. I think, if I remember correctly, Ephesians 1 uses this, this idea of the, of the Greek language far more than any other single chapter. Paul really jumps in on this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and knowledge spirit of wisdom and revelation in the sphere of the knowledge of Him. That wisdom and revelation comes within the sphere of the knowledge of Him. The word here, knowledge, is the word epignosis. It's an exact or a full knowledge, discernment or recognition. It is not a gnosko, which is a knowledge that you gain by experience. It is not oida. It is, a, it is epignosis. It comes from the root word, gnosis, which is where we get the term that is used for the sect of the uh, Jewish faith called the Gnostics, who are based on knowledge. So Greek has a, several words for knowledge. This is where we see this one. Epignosis, exact or full knowledge, discernment or recognition of him. So that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The eyes of your understanding being 
enlightened. I have eyes to understand. I'm born again. I have eyes to understand that those eyes of understanding would be enlightened. How many times have you seen a puzzle? And you're, you know the puzzle has a, has a solution. You're looking at it. You're, you have eyes that can discern it. You have eyes that can see it. But you're looking at it, trying to figure it out. And then all of a sudden you see it. Oh, there it is. Your eyes were opened up. It was there the whole time. Nothing was hiding it. It just was covered up in the whatever it is that they, they do. You know, sometimes they give you those two drawings and there's one or two differences between the two and you're looking over there trying to figure it out. <clears throat> and once you see it, it stares you in the face all the time. Now you just go right to it. But seeing it that first time is tough. But once your eyes were enlightened, once your understanding of what was going on there, you were enlightened to it. Oh, that helps out. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So there's, <clears throat> there's things that he wants to see you come to. Let's read this whole thing. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Here's the ultimate purpose. He wants you to be enlightened. The more I walk with God, the more enlightenment I can come into. The more I can understand, the more I can see. And once I see it, then I can see some of the some of the next things. Oh, because I saw this, I can see this. And because I saw this, now I can move on and, and see this. And so we keep progressing. We keep moving through. This is what he wants them to do. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So there are three what's here to be known. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. This is, the, this is what the, these are focused on, these three what's. The first what, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. There is a specific calling on your life. You have a specific thing to do in the body of Christ. If he's writing to the church overall, that church has a specific calling, a certain purpose to be accomplished in that part of the world. But each person making up the body of Christ there, each one has a call. Each one has a purpose. The enemy wants to get you away from understanding that call and that purpose and to begin to think there's, there's nothing to be had here. And to get you to lose heart and to give up. But don't do that. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. Just because you're born again and even though you may know what your calling is does not mean that you know everything about it. There is more to be known. There is more to be had. Just look at the life of Joseph. Way back when he was with his family, he knew some aspects of what he was called to. But as he began to walk, as he began to continue on with God, he found out there was more. There was more to this. And so we got to keep going on with God to find out what is there more to? What am I supposed to be accomplishing? <clears throat> what am I supposed to be doing here? That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What other, what, what, what is the hope? I, make sure I, I think I'm missing one of your blanks there. <clears throat> Our specific call of which Jesus is the author of would be your blank. There is a particular 
Well, I'll put it to you this way. Jesus is the one who authored the call. Jesus is the one who, he's the head of the church. He's the one who made the call. He knows the aspects of that call, but he doesn't divulge all of it to you right off the bat because I'm not ready to handle it all. I couldn't understand it all. Whatever it might be, he begins to show me as I go on. As my eyes are opened up to, oh, I didn't see that this was a part of it over here. Now that I understand that, I can go on to the next part. But you see, I've got to press in with God. I've got to find these things out. Paul is praying for them. Because you can pray for other people to understand this. If I understand what my calling is, I generally am more sure to go in that direction. When the devil can get us to be lost and not finding the, the right way. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. I don't really think God has any purpose for me here. I just kind of wander. I don't really do anything. But God has a, has a call, has a purpose. We've got to make sure that we stay in there with Him. <clears throat> so, three what's. That's the first one. That you may know what is the hope of His calling. Second, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? Now, here we see that, that, uh, that sphere aspect, that, that staying in the realm. What are the riches of the glory of His saints in the sphere, of His inheritance in the sphere of the saints? The inheritance that comes is within the sphere of the saints. When we look, think about this a lot of times, that God saved us, He didn't get much, we got it all. But apparently God's opinion is different because there is an inheritance that is there that is be had with the saints. So the, it seems that the purpose that God has here is that God is going to yield a particular harvest for which he needs the authority, he needs the things that he won through Jesus Christ to be at work through the lives of his believers going out into the world and doing his business that they will bring in a harvest, they will bring in the uh, uh, basically the examples that Jesus used in the talents and the minus, they're making money and they're bringing that money into the kingdom. Now it's not just money, but that's the example that he used. But the master then used what those servants gained. There is a gain that you are bringing into the body of Christ and in the sphere of the saints is the inheritance. In the example that Jesus used for the Old Testament saints, he used the example of the uh, precious jewel buried in the earth. In the, the New Testament, he's talking about the precious pearl that was, that was there. The pearl comes out of the sea. The, the uh, precious jewel comes out of the earth. And there's reasons for all that. There's symbolisms a lot. Don't want to get into, lose ourselves in that today. But there is, there are riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So it's his inheritance, but where is it? In the sphere of the saints. So your specific call, if you know what your call is, then the things that you're bringing in for the inheritance would be increased. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? So the three what's. First off, the hope of your calling. Secondly, 
the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In the saints. It's in the sphere of the saints. Make sure you understand you're here to bring something in. And it's third, that you would understand, that you would see what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us. If you understood that you have a calling, that there's an aspect of what you are bringing into the body of Christ that benefits the head, Jesus Christ, and that he is pouring out his power upon you for the purpose of gaining what he, what you are bringing into the inheritance. And if you knew the exceeding greatness of that power that was there coming towards you, then you wouldn't be always looking at, well, I just need a little tiny bit. Oh, God, can I just get a touch? Oh, God, just deliver me out of this. Oh, God, just, just help me on these things. <clears throat> no. We do that because we don't understand the greatness of His power toward us who believe. That's the condition. We believe, but we've already decided from the previous verses that this is a group of people who do. They heard His word and they believed. They trusted. What is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Now the Greek on this is very interesting, but we would get lost in it if I, if I took too much time on this. So we're going to try and just look at the whole thing. We might, uh, I'll reserve the right to come back to this and, <laughs> and break this down a little bit better for you. But I wanted to make sure that we didn't lose sight of the whole thing of what he was, he was talking about. The three what's. This is what he's look, looking at. The hope of his calling. It's imperative that you not only know what your calling is, what it's about. You need to know the intricacies of it. You need to know the things that God has called you into the body to do. You need to understand beyond that what God is gaining, how He is going to gain from what you do. It's imperative that we understand that. If you, if you have an employer, ask the employer, the employer, how is it that I can help you make money? How is it that I can help you? If you know how to uh, accomplish making money, then they're not as very likely to get rid of you. I did that early on with uh, when I was driving around for Keltzers. Um, they would, they, uh, I think when I first started with them, they told me how much it cost to put me on the road. That was when I was on local stuff. They told me how much it cost to, to put me on the road. And the cost was kind of low. But when I went on the over-the-road stuff and I was staying overnight and there was greater expenses, well, that went up. So I asked them, how much does it cost me or cost you to put me on the road. And they said, and they gave me a figure uh, of so many hundreds of dollars that it cost to do that. So basically what it was, was until I made that much money in sales for the day, I, uh, I was costing them money. So I said, I said, all right, we're going to make sure that we hit that number early. <laughs> and then I'm just going to keep hitting it until we get later on. So uh, by the time I had finished most of my days uh, out there, uh, you know, you couldn't see some places you could get in as early as six, and on some some routes you could do that. Sometimes you couldn't get in and places until seven thirty, eight o'clock. Uh, seafood stores open later than grocery stores, so you try and hit the grocery stores first. But I always, uh, just about every single day, I hit my goal by nine ten o'clock in the morning. I paid for the entire day, the, the, the whole trip for the day, by nine, ten o'clock. So from that point on, I'm making them money. 
I paid my salary. I paid the, what it cost to keep the truck on the road. I paid for the gas. I paid for the tolls. I paid for all that by about 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. And then I kept on working until about 4, 35 o'clock at night. After that, they didn't want to see you. They're too busy. And so I kept working until then uh, and delivered and kept making money. And so generally, I was four, five, six times over what it cost me to put on the road. Now, in comparison, we had another guy who was over the road. And most days, he didn't make enough money to pay him. He'd go through the whole day, and he didn't make enough money to do that. And one time, they, uh, they had this one route that he did. And they, when, during my downtime, summer was the uptime, winter was the downtime. During my downtime, they said, Steve, can you take this route for a, a couple of months and just give us your evaluation on it? Is, this, is it possible for us to save this route? Because it costs us money every time we put them out. We're not making any money on this at all. So I went out there, and I did it for a couple of months, and uh, came back, and I said, I'd close it down. I said, there is not much out there. Uh, these people are not interested in, in uh, developing the type of things that we can sell to them or that we can give to them. I said, it's going to be pretty tough to uh, do it. And <clears throat> he, was, uh, he was, overall, he was a lot slower than I was. He couldn't do what I could do in a day. He just wasn't physically capable of it. And so I was able to do more in the course of the day but, um, th th than he was. But still, it just, I said, there wasn't any, go through a warehouse, go through another aspect of it. Don't, uh, don't bother with, with doing that. So I don't even remember what they, they did with that. But you've got to know, what, how can there be benefit? If you knew how you could benefit your employer, then your employer is going to have a hard time getting you go away. Daniel was so beneficial to the kingdom that the king didn't want to lose him. That uh, his, his buddies were so beneficial to the kingdom that they, didn't want, they wanted to, to promote them until he got mad at them for not worshiping. And then he, he's ready to do something else with them. But for the most part, that wasn't quite the, quite the case. So, know the benefit. Know what you're bringing in. Don't, don't be afraid to ask those questions. I think most employers like you to ask those kind of questions. What does it cost for me to be here? And how can I make sure that I'm making enough money Keep me around. So, this the locative of sphere, once again, is being used here. It's the inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. We're not tapping into the power the way that we should. If we fully understood what the power was, we would, uh, we would change some things. We would do some things. We've got to understand the power of the calling. If I know the calling, then I can know what I can step into as, as far as that power is concerned. So what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? You've got to know how good it is for Jesus. You've got to know how good the inheritance is for Jesus, and then you understand that his power towards you to accomplish it is not just selfish on your part to walk in it, but if I walk in that power, I'm helping the kingdom. I'm doing things for the kingdom. This is, this is good. How great is God's power to fulfill it? There is a greatness to the power of God we have not tapped into yet. We can talk about how great God's power is. He created the universe. He did all these things. But then we come down to our little tiny neck of the woods and what we need to get done. Oh, God, I don't know if you can get this done. But He can. 
But he says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So this is the same power he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Not just raised him from the dead, but put him in that position of power and authority. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Far above, not, but not slightly above, far above all. All principality, all power, all might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So the age that is to come, he's still over all them. Whatever it is. That includes your employer. That includes any ruler that is in this world. That includes any demon spirit. That includes any principality and power. Whatever it is, he is far above. Yeah, but my employer can do what they want. They got their own will. Sure they can. Pharaoh had his own will. And when he kept using his will against the people of God, God made it very inconvenient for him. And God can do the same thing for us. And He's done it in other places in, in Scripture as well. That's not the only one. <clears throat> but He's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Whatever name they got, don't matter what that name is. God is better. God is stronger. And He put all things. How many things? All things. So that includes principality and power, every name, every dominion, and anything else, anything, whatever it might be. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here's what you got. You got Jesus who has been put above all things and he is the what? He is the head. You got all things principalities and powers, might, dominion, all things are put under His feet. What is between the head and the feet? The body. So what He is saying here is, He is the head, we are the body that goes right in between there, and everything is put under His feet, which is our feet. Because we are His body. So everything, every dominion, every power is under our feet. When we give in to sin, we're not exercising that dominion. We're not walking in that power. When I give in to temptation, that's a lesser power trying to pull me down to a lower level. When I take authority over the devil and he doesn't seem to want to leave and I back down. That's not taking authority that we're, that's not being in the place that we're at. Even if your place in the body is the big toe. All the way down at the bottom. They're still under you. They are under the feet of Jesus. Whatever it is. He put all things 
under his feet and gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church. He was given to us to be our head, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We translate this this way. <clears throat> and what is the superabounding greatness? My spell check comes up, that's wrong. But that's how he spelled it. Superabounding greatness, one word, of his inherent power to us who are believing ones as measured by the operative energy of the manifested strength of his might, which might was operative in Christ when he raised him out from among the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus Christ, as powerful as we look at him, he is our head. We are under him. Whatever was put in him was put under his feet. Whatever we see as under the authority of Jesus Christ is under our authority because we are his body and everything that was different, every power, every manifestation, every, every might was all put under his feet, which is us. There is nothing that was not put under his authority that is not under ours. Nothing. Because everything that that might of God propelled Jesus Christ to put us in that same exact position, that exact same might and power is working toward us. As it raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father and put all principalities and powers under his feet. That is the mighty power that is working on our behalf. Amen. And if we understand our calling, if we understand the purpose of which we are here and what we bring into the body of Christ, then we can understand why he would take all that power and work it towards me. It's here. It's coming my direction. I have it at my disposal to use for the kingdom of God to bring in what he wants to bring in. I don't just look at it as, well, why is God doing this for me? No, God is doing it for him because the inheritance of his son is in the sphere of the saints. So, finishing this up. The church is referred to as the body and the bride of Christ. We, have, we see both references. Some places it's called the bride of Christ. Sometimes it's called the body of Christ. <clears throat> if Jesus Christ is always referred to as a male and the bride is always referred to as female, are we confused? Sometimes we, we look at any time we see a reference to her, it's always the bride. And when we see a reference to him, him who hinders, talking about the Antichrist, until him who hinders is removed, he can't be revealed. And we think Holy Spirit. Some people do. But you don't look at the, the overall thing. Until him who hinders is the body. Because all things are under his feet, which is the body, which is part of this dispensation, part of the church age, part of this time, until that body is removed from the earth, then he cannot be revealed to do what he's going to do. So there are times that the church is referred to as a he when it's the body of Christ, and there's other times when it's referred to as a she when it is the bride of Christ. 
the first, the body, is function. That is the function of the church. The second is position. The first is function. The latter or the second is position. We are in the position of a bride. We are in the function of a body. I wrote this in your outline for you. The Father already worked through the head. He already worked through the head. Now, in the same way, He works through the body. In every way that He worked through the head, He is working through the body. In the same way that He raised Jesus Christ from the, from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of the Father. In the same way that he did all that work to the head, he's doing the same work to the body. But the devil gets us deceived. And he thinks, no, he's not doing all that sort of stuff. Yes, he is. And he says it right here. Paul says it very plainly. Everything is under the feet, which is under the body. You are the body of Christ. As you walk in more revelation and more understanding... It opens things up to what God can do for you. This is a phenomenal prayer. Brother Hagen used to teach us to pray this prayer for ourselves. And uh, people would say, well, how long should I pray it? He always would say, pray until you're satisfied. And he's not saying, I'm not saying that you just keep on praying, you should never be satisfied. He said, pray until you're satisfied. If you're satisfied, then stop praying it for a while. After a while, you probably won't be satisfied anymore. Go, go back to praying it again. But pray this prayer. Put your name in there. Put the name of the person you want to pray for. Somebody in your family that you want to pray for. Pray for them. Put, put their name in. It's a, it's a scriptural prayer. It's a prayer that made scripture. There aren't many of those. That we can uh, just insert our name in as easily as this one. But do that and pray for yourself. Because you've got to make sure those three what's are going on in your life. A lot of times we're missing out on one, two, or three of those what's. I'm not quite sure about these. I'm not quite sure what the calling is that I'm in. I'm not quite sure what it is that that power is that is working to me or how it is that God even benefits from it. But ask, Father God, how can you benefit from me? What is it that I can do that, you, that can help this body? See, if I understand the call, that's the key to understanding the benefit. If I understand the benefit, I understand why it is that God's working on my behalf. Oh, because you get this. Oh, okay. Why in the world would, would Keltner's horseradish want to pay me a salary? Why would they want to supply me a truck? All the gas that I need. Unlimited amount. Of, I, can, I can buy any toll and pay any, any, any trip and, and, and do it. And they even bought my lunch on the way. And I'd stay overnight, they'd buy my dinner. And I had a certain thing I had to stay with. I couldn't just go anywhere that I, I wanted to and do. And they paid for the hotel. I got paid to stay overnight in Ocean City, New Jersey, and paid to stay overnight in Cape May, New Jersey. Every week, Monday night, staying over there in Ocean City, New Jersey. Wednesday night, staying in Cape May. Now, I worked hard. But why would they do all that? Why would there be a benefit for, for them for doing that? Why is it that I got to work down at the shore? It's soaking in the sun. I'm not on the beach. <laughs> I don't get time to be out there on the beach and, and all that. 
But oh, I just, I just always have loved the, the shore, the atmosphere that's down there. And here, here's some people. They want to pay me to drive down there. They paid for my trip out there. I'm driving and I'm getting paid. Why would they want to do that? Because I understood what, what it took. And, and I remember one, one time I came back. I took a year off from them and went on down to Tulsa and came on back. And they tried to get people to take over the, the route. And it took two people twice as many days to do what I did. And so when I came back, they told me, they said, look, take some more days. You're working too hard. So I took some more days and I doubled the route. And then I doubled it again. And they, when I was getting ready to leave the final time, they said, we're scared. <laughs> we don't know. And just before I left, I made a huge sale that was going to impact the company for years. And in fact, it was so big. I didn't get to, to relish in any of it, but it was so big that it caused one of our accounts to no longer be able to deliver it off of our truck. The driver, all he could do was go in there and take the order, and they sent a truck by itself to go down to that store and deliver all the goods. Because of the last sale that I made with them, they knew I could make it. They even told me, don't make this, don't, don't sell them these things. If you sell them these things, we're, we'll, be tough, we'll, be, we'll be stuck. And just as I was getting ready to leave, they said, oh, we got it fixed, go sell it to them. And that was the last thing I did for the company. I sold this, this huge account on this particular product, and uh, they then had a whole section in the, in, the, in the shop dedicated to making this stuff. And uh, when I checked in with them later on, they said, oh, yeah, we can't even deliver it to them anymore. <laughs> I just go down there and take the order. I call it in. They load it all up in a truck, and somebody else drives the truck on down and delivers the whole thing, and it just got even bigger because I found out what is it going to take. Find out, God, what is, how do I... How do I help this out? How do I do it? Because if you understand what it is that you are doing, how it is that you are a benefit, then you don't mind asking. Father God, I need this. When Peter and John came to the man at the beautiful gate, they understood the power that was at their disposal. And so they said to the man, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. You see, I've got access to the power. I have access to that great power. In the name of Jesus Christ, Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he grabs him by the hand, and that just shook that whole town. This is the power that we have at our disposal. Different callings have as aspects to different things, but make sure that you walk in, in what God has, has for you. I did forget to bring the microphone back over there. I can uh, grab it from up over here if you want. Father God, we thank you for the, the wonderful power that is at work on our behalf that you will do it not just because it benefits us but because it benefits you and if we fully understand our call in the body of Christ if we fully understand the benefit that we bring to the inheritance of, that is in the sphere of the saints then we will understand why you would use such exceedingly great power to work through us in this, in this world Thank you that as we pray this, that we will come to that understanding more and more. We give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.